Thank you for downloading the sermon podcast of Calvary Chapel of Mercer County. Enjoy the message. So Jesus came with this, if you will, this new teaching. So with that in mind, with those two things in mind, then let's kind of have at the forefront of our thinking this idea that Jesus primarily, when he says, you'll look at the first word he, or words, he says, beware of false prophets. When he has false prophets or false teachers in mind, he's thinking of the various religious leaders of his day that everybody else would have thought of when they thought about religion. They would have thought of those religious leaders. So let me read that to you and keep that in your mind. Starting in verse 15, it says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered by thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, and thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Now, in first century Judaism, if we were to ask the question of folks, the majority of individuals would agree with this statement, that the scribes and the Pharisees are the face of religion in our day. They would have agreed with that statement that the scribes and the Pharisees, so if you think about religion and you think, well, what's religion about? What's God about? Most people would have said, well, go ask the scribes and the Pharisees. If anybody's going to know, it's going to be those. Like in our day, people that aren't that associated with things of Scripture or stuff, they might say, well, go ask a priest because they would think that a priest or something like that would know. And that's the idea. It certainly wasn't an itinerant ex-Jewish carpenter. That's not the face of religion when Jesus is coming on the scene. And so with that in mind, Jesus then says, thinking of them as the face of religion, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So he talks about this idea of a prophet. And in the Bible, there are essentially two ways that the ministry of a prophet would operate, or the ministry of prophecy would oper- operate, I should say. I said operate. Operate. Commonly, we think of a prophet as one that sort of foretells the future. And so in our mind, we think of Daniel, we think of Jeremiah, we think of Elijah, Isaiah, those guys in the Old Testament that sort of predicted the future. This event is going to occur off into the future. And that's one way that the ministry of prophecy operates. However, in the Old Testament, primarily the ministry wasn't to predict future events, but primarily it wasn't to foretell the future, but it was, if you will, to foretell the future or to foretell the word of God, to bring forth God's word. That was the ministry of a prophet. And so more than this is going to happen in the future, it would be something to the effect of, thus says the Lord, like Jonah going in and giving a a word. If you don't repent, judgment is going to come. That's foretelling the word of God. So in that sense, the Old Testament prophet was primarily one that had the role of proclaiming the word of God, teaching, if you will, the Word of God, primarily in an exhortational exhortational manner. Now, as you make your way to the New Testament, the ministry of prophecy continues into the New Testament. And we see examples in the New Testament of sort of the predictive aspect of prophecy, predicting a future event. But more common, the more common means of prophecy being exercised in the New Testament 
is again this idea of teaching or exhorting people. So therefore, when we see in our passage today, in verse 15, where it says, beware of false prophets, you can use interchangeably in your thinking the word teacher as well. So we could say then, beware of false prophets and false teachers who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Now notice, if the word is there, beware, and, it's, and we'll define it in a moment, but it, it essentially means be on your guard. If the, the term is there, beware of false prophets or false teachers, that implies that you have to make some kind of a judgment about that teacher. And the reason why I bring it up is because when we began this chapter here, I guess it was chapter 7, we began reading the phrase, judge not lest you be judged. And I mentioned at that time, a lot of people use that is, you can never say anything negative about my style, my ministry, my teaching, or anything like that, because then you'd be judging me. The Bible says you're not supposed to judge me. And I, I made the point at that time, the vast majority of people that use that verse, use it out of context. And they basically say it's to shut you up, that you can't disagree with me in any way. But we see, as we saw back then when we did that study, and now we see it again, it doesn't really mean what a lot of people says it means. So if you're going to have to beware, if you're going to have to designate someone as a false prophet, that means that you have to exercise some bit of wisdom and some bit of discernment on these folks that are supposedly speaking the truth of God into your lives as a prophet would do. And so a prophet or a teacher, this is a person that's going to speak forth the message in the heart of God. You could say that they are the mouthpiece of God. And so a false prophet or a false teacher is appearing to be the mouthpiece of God, but in fact is doing just the opposite. They're not speaking for God. They appear to be religious. They appear to communicate the heart and the message of God. But the reality is, as it says in the passage, they are ravenous wolves in sheep's clothing. Now let me try to paint the picture that Jesus is looking to communicate here. These false teachers that Jesus is warning about, they appear, and I have a picture, of as an innocent sheep. Isn't he cute? I mean, you look at that little guy, and he's like, wow, that's really cute. But the reality is, and if you saw that, I don't like touching, like I can touch dogs and cats, but I don't like touching other animals and stuff. It's just like, that's weird, and they're weird kind of thing. I, I grew up on a farm working, and they would go out to the chickens. And the chickens would get out of the coop. They could only fly. They could fly forever, probably. But they only flew just over the coop every now and again. And they would send us out to get the chickens. And I'm like, look, man, that's out of my pay grade. I don't touch chickens. You know what I mean? So the, the little, my little cousin, he was four years old. He'd go out and he'd pick up chickens or whatever. And I'm like, you're crazy, man. What are you doing? Or whatever. And I just point to the chickens. I don't like touching things like that. That little guy, I'd probably go up to that little guy and give him a little pet. He's a cute little fella. And so... This idea, the false teachers Jesus is warning about, they appear like that little guy, but the reality is, Jesus says, they're ravenous wolves. Take a look at that guy. Do we have a picture of that? Oh, okay, there's a few. That's really what they are. Big difference, isn't it? Jesus says to beware of those ravenous wolves because if they looked like that, we wouldn't need to beware, would we? You would just, we wouldn't have to be told, at least, to beware is what I mean because the teeth communicate. You better be on your guard against this particular guy. But the reality is, false prophets don't look like that. They don't look like ravenous wolves. They look like sweet little sheep. Innocent, harmless, maybe a bit naive, 
kind and gentle and gentle to the point where, you know, you're going to let down your guard. And Jesus says here not to. He says, beware, in verse 15, of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Now, the term that he uses there for beware, beware, it's a term that means give attention to. It means devote thought and effort toward. It means to be on your guard, to be aware of, and to take care around. So if this ravenous wolf was in your backyard, do you think you would act a little bit differently than if this little sheep guy was in your backyard? You certainly would. But as I said, a false prophet doesn't look like a ravenous wolf. And so we have to remind ourselves to be on our guard. So today we're going to answer this question. I was dying, and you're going to listen. And the question is this. How can you know if someone is a false prophet or a false teacher? I believe the Bible gives a number of indicators. The first thing that we have to remind ourselves, and I just said it, but if you haven't written it down yet, it's this, is that false prophets and false teachers, they will arise among us, and they're not going to look like false prophets and false teachers. They're not going to look like ravenous wolves. But the first point is this, they will arise among us. That means that in your day, in your week, in your year, you will ultimately at some point in time be exposed, perhaps repeatedly, to false prophets. You'll turn on your radio. You'll turn on your television. You'll hear a message at work. You know, people are chit-chatting or whatever. And you're going to hear things. You will be exposed. This is what the Apostle Peter says, Second Peter. He said, false prophets arose among the people just as there will be false prophets, false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. So the first point that we jot down is this. If you're thinking that false prophets are something of old or something that only happens over there, wherever there is, but over there and not here in our kind of uh, day in and day out, well, your thinking is wrong. And so you need to correct your thinking. That means you need to be practicing being on your guard because you and I will be exposed to false prophets and teachers. Okay, so that's the first point. Now, with that knowledge that false prophets and teachers will arise among us, let's answer that second question or that that question I initially brought up. How can we know if a person is a false prophet or teacher? First point that you can jot down about it is this. It won't be based on their outward appearance. It's not going to be based on their outward appearance. They're not going to have a sign flashing over their head, false teacher, false teacher, false teacher. They're not going to have a business card, reverend so-and-so, false teacher, or anything like that. You're not going to be able to know based on their outward appearance, necessarily know based on their outward appearance. So here are some indicators that the Scripture gives us to understand whether a person is a false teacher or not. First, If we're talking about in the sense of predicting the future, which is one of the ministries of a prophet, then the first test is quite simply, does it come to pass or not? So if they predict that this event is going to happen, or the world is going to come to, to an end on this particular day, or God told me that this is going to happen in your life, and that does not come to pass exactly as they said it would, then you can rest assured that that particular person is a false prophet. Now, I add the words exactly as it says it was, because oftentimes the world's going to come to end. Send everything, sell everything that you have. Come, wait on the top of this mountain with us. And then, the, you know, Jesus doesn't come back. And then they say something to the effect of, well, 
Jesus came back in the heart of those that really know him. See, that's what we were talking about. You know, you misunderstood what we were saying. No, that's not what you said. You told me to sell everything I have because I'm not going to need it anymore. You see, so it has to come back exactly. Now, this is what Moses wrote. He said this, Deuteronomy 18, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is the word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has, the prophet has spoken it presumptuously, and you need not be afraid of him. The idea is respect him or heed the message that he is sharing. So if we are talking about prophecy in the sense of predicting the future, the, temp, the test is simply, did it or did it not come to pass exactly as they say? Now, as I mentioned, that type of prophecy, the type of prophecy you're more likely to encounter is the person forth-telling the words of God, the person that is teaching, if you will. So with that in mind, there's nothing predictive in nature to say, well, did it or did it not occur? With that in mind, I think there are a few things that you can keep in mind as you are seeking to discern whether or not a person is or is not a false teacher or a false prophet. And here's first and foremost. Does their teaching align with the Word of God? Now, of course, different people are going to have a different understanding of certain things in Scripture. And so there are some good brothers and sisters in the Lord that hold to this idea of Arminianism, which is essentially that we choose our salvation. And then there are other good brothers and sisters in the faith that hold strongly to the idea that God chooses us, this idea of election and free will. And so I may hold this view, you may hold that particular view. That doesn't make you a false prophet, doesn't make me a false teacher, because my view on that is slightly different than yours. Well, quite a bit different than yours. So there are things that we can, good people with good intentions, can come to different conclusions on or different understandings on in the Scripture. And again, that doesn't make that person a false prophet or a false teacher. There are, if you will, sort of major doctrines and minor doctrines, and we can disagree on the minors, but we can't disagree on the majors, and that's what I am speaking about as well. And so the first indicator on a person's teaching is does the person's teaching align with the Word of God? Or instead, do you get one of these where they say something like, well, I know that this doesn't quite agree with the Bible, but God showed me this. You see, God's not going to show you anything that doesn't line up with the Word of God. And if you have received something from the Lord that contradicts the Word of God, then you're the one that's false, not the Lord. Now, a problem with discerning false teachers is this, that the majority of things that that person says are probably going to be biblical and accurate. False prophets tell the truth most of the time. But that's part of the deception. Because if the majority of their statements weren't biblically accurate, you wouldn't have much difficulty noticing that they're a false prophet. And so the majority of their statements will probably be true, but there will be enough that are not true that it becomes significant. And that that person is a false teacher leading people astray, and thus the need for a little bit of extra care and discernment. Thus, the need to be on your guard and aware of what you're listening to, what you're reading, what you're watching on TV. And so the first then, does their teaching agree with or contradict the written word of God? Jesus tells us right here in this text, there's a second means of discerning whether or not a person is a false prophet or not. And that, he says, is, look at verse 19, 
he says you will recognize them by their fruit or their fruits. And so the second thing is look at their fruit. Now what does that mean? Does that mean if a lot of people attend that minister's church that their fruit must be good? Does it mean that if they're real popular or a best-selling author that their fruit then must be okay? That's not the marks that Jesus is looking at. When Jesus speaks of fruit, he's speaking of the results of this minister's or this teacher's ministry, both in their lives and in the lives of those that follow them. And so, do the people that follow this teacher, do they demonstrate that God is at work in their lives? Are they growing in the Lord? And maybe even more importantly, are they remaining in the Lord? Or is there that constant revolving door of people that are kind of brought into the ministry by the hype of whatever it is that is going on there, and then they're back out the door two years later? Are they remaining in the Lord? That's an indication of the fruit of that teacher's ministry. Additionally, this idea of fruit, I would say, is this. Is the teacher's life manifesting the fruit, good fruit? The Bible calls it the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, we read this. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Do these teachers, do they say one thing in the pulpit but do another thing in their so-called personal lives. And I say so-called personal lives because all of our lives is the Lord's, isn't it? It's not a ministry life and a personal life. And so does their life match up with the teaching of Scripture and the fruit of the Spirit? Now you might say, well, I don't know. It's a guy on TV. How do I know if his life matches up here? Well, I would say this. What do other people say that do know that person personally? Now certainly, you have to be careful with that. Because as we said a little while back, sometimes people judge without really knowing. But is the same thing being repeatedly said by a variety of sources, that should be a warning sign for you to be on your guard. Fruit. I think an additional indicator of a person's fruit is this. Does his or her message communicate love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness? Does it communicate the fruit of the Spirit? Or is the overall tone, or are those things, I should say, missing in the overall tone of that person's message? Are they the point of emphasis in the person's teaching? Or is very little bit mentioned about things like love and joy and peace and patience and so on? So the second indicator then in a variety of aspects that I've suggested is fruit. What's the fruit of that person's ministry? So does it line up with the Word of God what is the fruit? Here's the third one if you're jotting it down. What does this prophet, what does this teacher do with Jesus? Because ultimately, a false prophet will deny that Jesus is the only way. And so whether it's a world religion that declares that Jesus was a good man and a good prophet, but not God's Son, sent to save the world from sin, or it's a pseudo-Christian cult group, like Mormonism, for instance, or Jehovah Witnesses, uses a lot of the same terms that you would find in your Scripture and that you would use in your day in, day out. So that would be a pseudo-Christian cult group. And again, using the same names and terms as, terms as biblical Christianity, but meaning something very, very different. Or even if it's just the world system that you encounter when you go to work or you go off to college or you sit in your class, whatever it may be, that simply says you're okay, and I'm okay, and all of us are okay. That's a contradiction 
of Jesus and the message of Jesus Christ. And so the third indicator is, what does this teacher, what does this religious group, what is this message do with Jesus? I quoted this verse a little bit earlier, or a portion of it earlier. Let me finish the quote. 2 Peter 2, it says, False prophets will arise among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Master who bought them bringing upon themselves swift destruction. You see that I've highlighted there, or underlined, even denying the Master who bought them. Does this teacher agree with the words of Jesus Himself? Remember, it was Jesus that said that He is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one can come to the Father except through Him. And so, if a teacher comes along that says, well, He is one of the ways, sure, He was a great guy. That's a false prophet and a false teacher. If a teacher comes along and says, well, really, it's about being good. If your good outweighs your bad, then you can get into heaven. That contradicts what Jesus said. That person is a false teacher and a false prophet. Because again, Jesus said he alone is the way, the truth, and the life. So does this teacher attest that Jesus is the only way whereby a person, any person, can be saved? Now, I've heard a number of teachers that I would classify as false teachers that they will say something like this. They'll say, well, Jesus is my way. He's my way to heaven. But who am I to make statements about the rest of the people on the earth or something like that? He's my way, but not the only way. Many roads lead to God ultimately. That's a false teacher. So, does it line up with the Word of God? What kind of fruit are they producing? And what do they do with Jesus? We find another indicator in Scripture. This is also found in 2 Peter. It's in the context, this is verse 3, it's in the context of false teachers, and it says this, in their greed they will exploit you with false words. So a false teacher or a false prophet will ultimately look to exploit, the King James uses the phrase, make merchandise of, but they will ultimately look to exploit their congregation whether that's a group of people that gather in front of them or it's the people that you know, tune in on the radio or listen on TV or watch on TV, they will ultimately look to exploit their congregation. That is, in their greed, these teachers will take advantage of and profit off of the congregation that they are purporting to minister to. Remember that the phrase minister, ministry, it means service. And so a good question is, who is serving whom in this particular ministry? If this ministry never stops asking for your money, then you should beware. If this ministry goes on and on and on about your need to sow your seed of faith, then you should beware. If the repeated emphasis of this ministry is on giving and pressuring you to give, then you need to beware of that ministry or be aware of that ministry. Now there is, as I said, there's a place to teach and there's there's a place for giving and a place to teach on giving. But if it becomes the emphasis of that person's teaching, then you need to beware. Now there's another, I don't know what number we're on now. What are we on? Four, five, five. Here's another one. Another way that we can use to discern whether or not we should remain on our guard against a person's ministry. And, and believe me, I think you should be on your guard at all times. I think when you come here on a Sunday morning, you should be on your guard. When you turn your favorite Bible teacher on on the radio and you know that he's great and everybody else says that he or she is great, be on your guard. 
The Apostle Paul gives the example that he goes into the town of Berea there in Acts chapter 17. He shares this message with them. It was a new message with them. He essentially says that the Old Testament is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, and I'm here to preach to you Jesus Christ. And they sit and they listen respectfully, receptively. They want to hear what he has to say. And then it says they go home and they search the Scriptures to see if these things that he just said were true. So they didn't come as jerks. Well, I don't believe anybody unless it's me that's saying They come open, ready to receive it, but they even question the Apostle Paul and go back to check the Word of God to see if these things are true. And Paul, as I've said before to you, Paul says, good for you guys. He's not offended by it at all. He says, these guys were more noble than any other people that I worked with. And he commends them for the fact that they didn't just believe anything. So you need to be on your guard at all times because the message can come forth, and it could come forth here. You know, and I'll be honest with you, I used to watch certain shows on TV or whatever. I don't know why I would do it to myself, Bible teachers or whatever. And I would watch these guys, and, and honestly, I would watch them so that I could get frustrated with, what are you teaching? What are you doing? And then I would do it to myself, and I'd be mad. And my wife's like, why do you do that? Why do you watch this? And I said, I don't know why I do it here. But I would, I would watch these things, and you begin to like pick up these sort of mannerisms and styles. And, you know, as you start hitting toward the end of the sermon, you've got to start picking up your voice a little bit and driving it in there and, and get your little jump on and all this stuff. And you're looking at this, and then you know what started happening? I started doing it. I remember I was up here one time, and I, I did a little jump thing. And I'm like, stop jumping. What are you doing? You know, whatever it may be. And so it can rub off on you is what I'm suggesting to you. And so you turn it on, you know, and it's either you watch Jerry Springer or you watch The Bible Guy. You probably think I'm safe if I put the Bible guy on in the background as I do the dishes or make dinner or something like that. You may not be. Because if Jerry Springer, if, you guys know who that is? Shame on you. Okay? But if you watch, you know, a show like that, you know to be on your guard. Because you're thinking, who on earth, what, are, why? I can't wait to get in there to turn that off because this is garbage. But you feel safe when someone's talking about Jesus and someone's talking about the Bible or whatever, but you may not be. And so anyway, that stuff can seep in here. So, one final means is this. This comes from Acts chapter 20. The verse I just mentioned to you about the Bereans was Acts 17. Here in Acts chapter 20, Paul the Apostle is addressing the elders of the church there in Ephesus. Now he was about to depart from them, not to see him again. And so just prior to departing from this church that he had worked to build and to get going in the faith and raise up leaders and so on, he says this to them in verse 28. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. This is for the leaders. <coughs> Ooh, gosh. In which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Paul says, I know that after my departure... Fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, Paul says, be alert. Now, let's notice just a few things comparing to what we've been looking at already. How many things that Paul points out that we've already talked about? So Paul begins, he says, pay careful attention to. Jesus used the word beware, same idea. Paul, a little bit further, he refers to these false prophets as fierce wolves. Jesus called them ravenous wolves. Paul says toward the end of that section that I quoted for you that among you will arise men speaking twisted things. 
You recall it was the Apostle Peter that also said that false teachers and false prophets will arise among you. And so now, with all of that, and you can see all the connection, we're talking about the exact same thing, we now come to the final means here, the next means here, that can be used to help us discern whether or not a prophet or a teacher can be trusted, and that is this. Does their teaching draw men to Jesus or to themselves? So look at the verse there again. Pay careful attention to those that are in your care, um, which ye obtained. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after themselves. And so a common characteristic of false teachers is to draw people to themselves and not to Christ. To make people their disciples instead of the Lord's disciples. False preachers and teachers preach about their lives and their victories and their dreams and their visions. They tell of their ideas, their tips and tricks that they discovered to achieve their success. Jesus, if he is mentioned at all, is simply used as a proof text or a source to support their message and their ideas and to draw people to their ministry. Now contrast that with the comments the Apostle Paul makes about ministry. This is what he says in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, we have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. Paul's talking about how to build a ministry, if you will. How to advance the kingdom. How to get a church going and so that the gospel can go forth. And he says, we have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Paul essentially says this, I dare anybody to point to an example in my life how I've taken advantage of you in ministry or of how, how I have been um, advantageously benefited from the ministry here. I, anybody, he says, I, with a good conscience. He says this, for what we preach is not ourselves. We're not drawing people to ourselves. We're not building up the Apostle Paul ministry or anything like that, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. So who is being built up in this ministry? Who is being drawn to in this ministry? Who are the disciples becoming disciples of? So six ways now. Six ways that you can heed Jesus' words and Paul's words to either beware or to pay careful attention to the people that you are listening to and are influencing you as far as teaching is concerned. Number one, again, I'm going to go through them. Does what they say come to pass? A second one here in a different order now. Does it, what they say line up with God's Word? Does it produce good fruit in both them and their listeners? The fourth one or a fourth one is this. Is the person or ministry, are they a true servant? Or do they take advantage of the sheep? And a fifth one, are they drawing listeners to themselves or to Jesus? And I've switched the order because I want to save what I believe to be the last one, the most important of them. Is this ministry presenting Jesus as the only way for man to be forgiven and cleansed of his sin, made right with God? Or is rather Jesus a way, if he is a way at all? Now what about our day? Are there false teachers and prophets in our day? Well, again, if you believe what Peter said, yeah, there has to be, because Peter said they would arise in our day. So I believe that there are. 
And next week when we come together, we're going to stay right here in this, these five or six verses. And what I want to do during that time is I want to take some of the more common teachers that you perhaps have flipped by on the television or heard on the radio or whatever that I would suggest to you and I want to demonstrate to you are false teachers. And so we're not going to dig too far into the Scripture next week, but we are going to look into the teaching of some of these guys and these gals that are out there and compare that with the Scripture. Because I believe this is significant and I believe it is serious and I believe it is something that is worth us pausing to consider. Because if we look, again, if that little sheep was in your backyard and that little sheep was a little askew, a little off, his teaching was crazy or whatever, eh, no big deal, he's a cute little sheep. Go out and pat him on the head. But if that ravenous wolf is out there, I'm calling all my kids into the house and I'm making sure the old lady across the street is safe and so on. And so that's why I think we need to spend some time with it, okay? I guarantee you, some of you will be offended next week. That's my favorite teacher. I can't believe you, you said that about him or her. Be a Berean. When we're done next week, you go back, search out these things, see if they are so. I'm not going to share a message on, I don't like that guy's attitude. I don't like that guy's smile. Drives me crazy. Or whatever. Nobody's that happy. That's not what it's going to be about at all. All right? What it's going to be about is the Word of God, and if it lines up, these teachings line up with the Word of God. Okay, would you agree? And you can do the same thing with me if you want. I'm not offended. Search out the Scriptures. If I'm saying something that you disagree with, and you know what? People have sent me emails, and they've said, hey, you know, you kind of said this, and I wasn't quite sure where you were going. Did I hear something differently? And I respond back to them, and I say, you know, hey, thanks so much. I'm so glad your car is having that conversation on the drive home, your family, or whatever. This is what I was trying to imply. If it came off this way, you know, then you're right. I agree that would be wrong. That's fine. That's what we're supposed to do. Be on your guard. Be ready. Be alert. Amen. Would you agree with that? Father, thank you for this time in the Word. And Lord, uh, sometimes the Word, it can cut. Lord, I, I think some of us, we might just... I don't want to get into it. I don't want to cause any trouble. I don't want to stir any problems. Can't we just go on with our lives and everybody smile at each other? And yet, Lord, we know Lord, that there will be some that come in purposefully trying to deceive and others that are deceived themselves. And Lord, that folks will be led astray. And so, Father, I think today my prayer for us is primarily that we would take to heart this idea of being on our guard and being aware. And Father, if perhaps we've gotten lax in that, Lord, that we would cause our ears to sort of uh, prick up, that we would pay attention to the things that are being said, that we would work through them logically and biblically. Is this what the Word of God says? Lord, that we would be students of Your Word. Lord, that when the counterfeit arises, Lord, we would immediately, maybe not be able to point out exactly how and why that's wrong, but Lord, that in our hearts, something just won't sit right because we're so familiar with the truth Lord, that the lie is exposed. So guard us, Lord, and protect us. Father, I pray for wisdom. I pray for your heart as I study this week. And Lord, as each of us really do. Lord, not just to be a bunch of jerks that don't agree with anyone that doesn't do it the way we do it. Lord, but just to be in a right spot with you in a right place with you as we dig and we consider. And Father, we want to pray for those that are with us that may not yet know you. 
having come to the place of looking to Jesus on the cross, dying, as he said, for the sins of the world, and come to that place and said, you know, not just the world, but me. That he gave his life on my behalf. That my sins have separated me from a holy God. And so judgment being poured out on a righteous one, willing to take my place as my only hope for salvation. Father, we pray for those that may be with us, that your spirit would open up their heart, their mind, their eyes to believe. And that they would be born from heaven above, born anew. Thanks again for listening to the sermon podcast of Calvary Chapel of Mercer County. If you would like more information about the church, its ministries, its worship services, or its small groups, please visit ccmercer.com or download the church app to your phone.